Okay, welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. The pod keeps growing, the games keep getting better, and Michael and Ted keep showing up. And we got another guest, second week in a row. Ted, Michael, how are we doing? Well, Quite an I intro. Am... Good. And I'm reeling because, look, the best news I've heard in a while just came out as maybe an hour before we're recording this podcast. The NCAA has officially announced that March Madness will be included with the women's tournament. And I freely admit that I'm at fault for never realizing that wasn't the case until this past year. Uh, And thankfully, it was all exposed. And that's the right thing to do. So I think that leads into our guest, doesn't it? Yes, I think that it does. it's, it's never madness when Ashley Adamson is on the call. She hosts the pregame show. She's been part of Pac-12 After Dark, been at the Pac-12 Networks. Ted, just like you, myself, and Michael from Jump. So we're, we're a decade in here uh, with, at the end of this year. And with that said, first time this season, we're all going to be able to hang together. Michael, I don't know how you did it, but we got Ashley with us on Saturday. The pregame will be in Boulder with USC. Ash, welcome to the show. I am really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Ted, appreciate uh, you mentioning that off the top. And I just want to say, I'm, I'm like as excited as I am to be here. I'm also a little bit sad as I'm realizing, I think this is my first invitation to the pod. So it, it took a little longer than I hoped, but hey, better late than never. I'm happy to Listen, be here. if you're willing, this will not be your last. I promise <laughs> you that, okay? We'll see how it goes first. See how yeah. it goes first and then you can decide. At least your intro was, he just keeps showing up. That's quite, uh, that's, <laughs> thanks, Yogi. That's, it was like, I'm inspired like, it's by that. experience. That's why you keep showing up. Oh, that, gotcha. that, that, that's, that's, gotcha. Life is showing up. Isn't that, mm-hmm. I told me that one. So. Very true. Doing something right. That's, I love it. All right. So, Michael, I want to start with you, actually. Um, we got the pregame show. We have our game. Uh, there's a bunch of stuff that goes on. There's a halftime. There's a little postgame element. What's it like as the producer to take people behind the curtain to bring our, you know, all, you know, every element we have at the Pac-12 Network is going to be part of this game in Boulder with USC and Colorado on Saturday. Well, I, I think the challenge is to try to make it seem like one long show from the tailgate show to the pregame show to our show. And then the pregame show stays and does some stuff after, which you'll probably be part of, I would assume, Yogi. Um, you'll probably be part of a little bit of the pregame show, I would assume, as well. But the nice thing for me as a producer is hopefully we'll get Ashley to be involved with our show to bring it to another level during the game. And we'll be able to use a couple cam- extra cameras and things that the studio show might be able to help with. So really, how do we make it one long show and how do we use the extra equipment and people available to make our show look and sound and feel, feel bigger and better. Amen to that. All right. So Ashley, um, you and I have talked about this. I don't think Ted and Michael know this, but uh, well, they know that Michael Westbrook is being honored. He's going to the College Football Hall of Fame. But they don't know the impact that Michael Westbrook has had in your life, nor do the listeners. Could you share with us that story around how you even end up ended up going to high school in Boulder or in well, Colorado? It's funny because I was just talking with our pregame show producer, David Arnold, and telling him this story. And he said, well, we got to get Michael Westbrook on the, on the pregame show, and you got to tell him this story. So... Uh, basically the, the shortest version that I can say it is that I, I was living in Michigan with my mom at the time. Um, I was born in Denver, but my mom and my brother and I moved to Michigan when we were little and that my 
brother ended up moving back to Colorado when I was in seventh grade. So unbeknownst to me at the time, my mom, who went to Michigan for undergrad and Colorado for grad school, uh, had been really conflicted about whether or not she should move with me to Colorado so that my brother and I could be together for high school. So she goes to the Colorado-Michigan game in 94 uh, with her Colorado sweatshirt on with all of her Michigan friends. And she said beforehand, like, I just, I'm hoping that this, that this game will give me a sign as to what I'm supposed to do. So that's kind of the setup. We all know what happens in the game, right? Michael Westbrook catches the Hail Mary and it's one of the most memorable games and finishes ever. My mom said, I just talked to her this morning about this and was asking her about the memories. And she said, well, I just remember feeling so disappointed that Michigan was going to win, which was kind of telling me what I probably already knew in my heart, that the right thing to do was to quit my job, end my relationship and move with you back to Colorado. And then she said, when they threw that Hail Mary, she was like, I just, it was the, the biggest sign I could have ever asked for. It smacked me in the face. And I still remember, I mean, I'm in seventh grade, she comes home and I think she had had a couple of beers at that point. I didn't really know what that was when I was in seventh grade, but she's like running into the kitchen counter going, you won't believe what just happened. And we're moving to Colorado. And like, I didn't even know that moving to Colorado was on the, on the table. So I just remember thinking like, what, happened at a football game that caused my mom to come home uh, and tell me they were moving to Colorado. And I wouldn't find out until, you know, a little bit later. And as I've gotten older and appreciated that game and that finish even more, just the impact that that catch and that throw and that play had on my life. So yeah, that's, that's my connection to that game. So I'm excited to meet him and just be like, Hey, thank you. This was, I'm excited to meet your mom. You guys do whatever the hell you want to do on your <laughs> nonsense stuff, show stuff. I'm having beers with your mom, okay? Yeah. <laughs> she, you know what? She, she'll be, she'll come to Boulder. She, uh, she will be there in a second if that is an open invite, and she's going to have beer with. I can tell you that. Running into tables, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> she'll like that too, I'm sure. Oh, that is so yeah, good. That part of the story as well. I don't think I was supposed to include that, but hey. This is the Truth Teller podcast, right? That's right. <laughs> that's, that's why you come to it. Um, okay, Ash, because uh, we only have you for a couple of minutes. Let, let's break this game down. Um, you get into campus. It sounds like your crew is already interviewing Mustafa Johnson later today. Uh, today is Wednesday, the 29th. Uh, what goes on in the preparation for the pregame show? And what are you most looking forward to in a game with two teams coming off challenging losses? You know who's actually interviewing Mustafa Johnson today that I just found out? It's Evan Batty, the Colorado basketball player. He's going to do the walk and talk, which I think is awesome. Yeah. And that's one, of, I mean, one of my favorite parts about kind of setting up the week and, you know, you all know this, but as the, as you talk with the schools and certainly as the Pac-12 network has gotten older, our relationships with the SIDs and the schools and the coaches and the players has evolved as well. So I think there's a real level of trust there. And so it's just been cool to see all the different things that Colorado, as we go there to showcase, you know, their campus and, and their program and the things that they want us, to, the stories that they want us to be able to tell and the access that we get. Like, that's one of my favorite parts is kind of seeing all of that come together of, hey, we, we meet with them early in the week. This is what we're thinking. What do you guys want us to do? And then let's figure out what makes sense. And, and it all sort of, you know, comes up on, on Saturday morning. So I think the thing that I'm most excited is just to be back in Boulder. I mean, the last time I was in Boulder for a game, it was when they beat Nebraska. Um, I guess it was 2019. Uh, and that was one of the most memorable games I've been at. But I'm excited to see two teams that that both clearly, obviously, desperately need a win. And I think for me in particular, I'm really curious to see how USC is going to show up. 
Um, obviously with Oregon State, I, I think that Oregon State loss, we're going to see as Oregon State continues on, my guess is, is that they're going to be the team that, okay, maybe that loss is going to make more sense as the season goes on, because I think the Beebs are, are a real deal. That wasn't a fluke. Um, but I, I want to see USC show up with, like, what are their leaders going to do? What is, what is this offense going to look like? Nick Aliotti's whole thing about USC's offense is that he just feels like it's gotten way too predictable and that you kind of know exactly what's going to happen, um, you know, if you watch the play 95% of the time. So I think that's going to be interesting. I'm excited to see Mustafa Johnson back on the field. Uh, that what a cool story that is. And then, you know, obviously the Michael Westbrook thing and being able to be around him. But yeah, just being back in Boulder as a, as a Colorado native and a Colorado girl, it's, uh, it's one of my most favorite places to get to go to. And the thing, obviously, I'll stop talking after this that I am most excited about is that for the first time this season and the first time in a long time, I get to be with your guys' crew on the road. So that's that's one A, obviously. Amen. Amen to that. I'm a beaver believer too, Ashley, by the way. I've been yeah. touting yeah. them for about two years on this pod. So I love that's I love that. I love that. Yeah, no, I think it was, I mean, they that was an unbelievable performance. And I think we'll we'll know more about them each week as it goes on certainly but I think that loss isn't necessarily going to look as bad as it maybe feels right now for some people on the USC side yeah it's gonna be interesting I was just at USC practice yesterday and uh Dante Williams is he's putting his stamp on the program I mean he is practice the practice schedule looked different than any practice I'd been to at USC under Clay Helton so they changed how they were going to practice how so? uh, you felt that just the drills, the timing, um, it was just different. They, they begin practice with, with, I think they call it fastball, which is like finish stretch. A lot of teams do this, and all of a sudden, boom, you get going. And it's a you know twos versus ones, ones versus twos, two-minute drill, and try to get the team going. And I think a lot of teams that do that, they want to start fast. And this team has struggled starting fast at times. They've struggled coming out of halftime at times. So I think that is a theme for them as they get going in this ball game. And for Colorado, Ted, you've seen it, right? We saw the Arizona State game over the weekend. They they struggled on offense, right? And and not insanely when you look at the numbers. It's just like the moments where uh, Brendan Rice gets behind a defender, they don't complete the ball. Like the little things. That's what I want to see in this ball game. Uh, for for Ted, as you've prepared for this one, and you look at at the boss, Carl Durrell coming home, Nate Lamon, Terrence Lang. This defensive front, uh, the two corners they have. What jumped out to you in your preparation for this one? Well, I, I've got to say, guys, I think I'm glad you guys referenced it because to me, the, we buried the headline a little bit. The story of this week is Oregon State. I mean, that what they did last Saturday. Thank goodness for USC and their recruiting hopes that that was on late night on a kind of a semi-obscure network that maybe not as many people saw because that was that was Oregon State ran the ball. 51 out of 70 plays. Uh, that's extraordinary. So it factors into what I think everybody's been saying here. How does USC respond? Because that's not supposed to happen to USC. That just is not supposed to happen to them. Uh, for Oregon State, that's phenomenal. And B.J. Baylor emerges. Uh, and, and look, if you're Oregon State right now, uh, right now they're sitting in West Lafayette saying, man, Purdue, man, we spoiled Oregon State CFP hopes. That's what they're thinking. But if you're Oregon State, you know, look, Oregon, we understand, is, is the, the king of the hill right now in that north, but everybody else is kind of fighting to be the best, the team that has the best shot to knock them off. If I'm in Corvallis right now, I'm thinking, why not us? Why not us? Why can't we get to the Civil War game with the, oh, I'm sorry, it's not called that any longer, 
apologies up north, but uh, we get to the rivalry game with a chance to win that division. How awesome would that be? Yeah, they beat them last year. And like they had a chance last year to win the North, like with all the crazy math that went on. So I'm with you with, uh, man, this team seems so confident. Chance Nolan, Michael, we've talked about him. I mean, how many times every week we're talking about him off the air of what he's done as a third stringer, hanging around, not bailing and dealing at times last week against Drake Jackson in that front. Amazing what could happen if you don't run to the portal immediately. <laughs> Amen. Hey, hey, by the way, hat tip. Hey, didn't edit that out. Uh, no, no, <laughs> hat tip to the Oregonian. They, they came up with this, and, and USC, 46 four-star recruits on their roster, Oregon State, seven, which, of course, is my annual or maybe, maybe monthly reminder that high school recruiting ratings are meaningless. But I mean, that's extraordinary. When you watch that game Saturday night, you see what Oregon State did to USC, and then you realize that difference on the rosters, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I, 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 it goes back to, I think, not only development, but, and, and, I, and I believe this. Uh, there was an article in The Athletic, I think, last week, um, Antonio Morales, Bruce Feldman yeah. combination. And the, the thing that stood out, there's a lot of things in there, but was like how Nick Saban turns down a dozen four and five star guys a year. And, and I look at like Chip Kelly, because those numbers are very similar to LSU, UCLA, if you go to the mm -hmm. rankings and the star rankings. And I think for SC, with all the changes we've seen, if you look at the last five years of recruiting, it was T. Martin's offense, Clay Helton's office, Graham, Cliff Kingsbury's offense, Graham Harrell's offense, like just different identities. And we talk identity all the time around here. And, and, I, and I'm really looking forward to when they do make that next hire what what is that identity you know and that was the topic on the sideline of practice yesterday i'll tell you that among the bunch of people that were there um, all right so ashley uh, before we let you go uh, what is the one thing that you hope to see outside of ted on your set on saturday in the ball game oh i was going to say the, the one thing non-ball game that i want to see is ralphie six like i'm <laughs> we're going to be set up apparently right next to her so i'm looking forward to introducing myself to that that beautiful beast and seeing what what she's all about uh the thing that i'm honestly I'm, I'm excited to see mustafa johnson back i think that's probably one of the biggest things and then nate landman we, we've talked about him yogi the hammer i i'm looking forward to having us all having the hammer shirts that we can wear post game because i think that's if we i can't believe we don't have those already um, ashley are you old enough to get the joke hammer time do you know what i'm referencing oh, yeah Okay, I'm, right. that's yeah that's my generation for okay, sure right. I'm, I'm, <laughs> um yeah i mean i would wear i wear my hammer pants i do have a pair of those as well so. you won't do <laughs> don't it don't we all we yeah. yeah yeah no i think the biggest thing i'm looking forward to seeing is just keaton slovis and this usc offense like let's see and, and as well as the defense after you just mentioned all the things that oregon state did to them last weekend how, how do they look can drake you know drake london He's been the guy. Can they continue to just go? Everyone knows that it's it, that it's going to go to him, and it continues. He just continues to make catches and plays, and is open somehow. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing them in person. But just how does USC show up coming off of uh, what was a um, certainly a really tough, disheartening loss for that locker room? That's what I'm looking forward to watch. Right, how about you? What are you most looking forward to seeing? You know, I can't wait to see Katie Nixon. Like if yeah. we can mic up one player in pregame. 
know, I talked to a bunch of players at SC yesterday about him. And like, of course, he's given the scouting report. Right. So uh, and Katie's had an elevated role in the last couple of weeks. So yeah. I, I look forward to just watching that. You don't see that very often in her conference transfers. We're going to start seeing it. But uh, especially for Katie, the successful career he had at Colorado, that, that's going to be a blast. Is it and still going to be slowest? Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, and KD, a guy who, th that team, you ask anybody on that team, they loved KD. Like, it, there was no bad, you know, it was sort of like, hey, go try, and if this is what you want to do, go for it, if that's the move that you want to make. But there was no love loss there. He loves Boulder. He loves that program and, and you know, the fans there and all that. So I'm interested to see how the how the fans react to him as well. I love it. Uh, all right, Ash. Guys, thanks for having me on. Let's we, not we wait another like five years for the for an invitation. Back, right? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start showing up. I'm just gonna just show up. up. Just show Next up. Week, exactly. Time, That's Ash, all we do. Appreciate you guys. Yeah. Ashley Adamson, host of the pregame show and pretty much everything else at the Pac-12 Networks, and we'll be with her on Saturday. Uh, Ted, let, let's circle back. We talked Oregon State. They've got U Dub. This is a big game. I mean, you could argue one of the biggest games in recent history at Reeser Stadium this weekend uh this is this is gonna be fun a lot on the line UW playing better uh Kate Otten did not play in the last game I'm not sure what his status is for this game for Washington uh but they've been able to move the ball what what, what say you when it comes to the beeves against uh Jimmy Lake and the Huskies well I I I think the clear um switch now for Oregon State is and it hasn't happened very often I'm not I don't pay attention to the spreads weekly, but I'm wondering how many times since Jonathan's been the coach, have they been favored? And so for the first time, probably, or a rare time in Jonathan Smith's tenure, the Beavers run out Saturday, and they're supposed to win. And Washington, I mean, I watched a lot of the Cal game. Cal should have won that game. Cal was the better team. And unfortunately for, I think, for Cal and Justin Wilcox, they have just self-destructed um, enough that it's cost them a chance to win a couple of games. And, and, uh, and, you know, they were down in that game at, at Seattle last Saturday, they come back. Uh, you know, when you look back, the special teams for Cal continues to be a nemesis. You can't, you know, the holder drops a ball on what should have been an easy field goal in the first half and you wind up going overtime. You think that that crushes you. So anyway, uh, to me, this is Oregon state. And Hey, if Oregon state, as I said, they, they run, what, 51 out of 70 plays the other night. If they can continue to do that against Washington, which is, we know is renowned for their physical play, it's a game they should win. And then, you know, the Beavs are now, the Beavs are in their north cycle. They have the Huskies this week, then they go to Pullman the following week. Those are games they should win if, they're, if they look anything like the team they did last Saturday. We'll be in Pullman, by the way, Pac-12 Network. So selfishly, I want a Beavs win this week because we – We'd like to see a hot team coming in, coming in to the Palouse for sure. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's interesting with Oregon State. Um, tight end, we've talked about this the last couple of years. Is it becoming a theme in Pac-12 football coming back? Tegan Quatoriano, Luke Musgrave, you know the last name because his uncle, yes, is Bill Musgrave, the OC at Cal. You could argue they're the, two of the better tight ends in the country. It might be the best duo in the country, these two guys. I mean, you watch the way they run, the way they run block, yards after the catch, uh, physical. The two guys, I think, that are going to play on Sundays. I can't wait to see them against UW's front seven and that secondary. Like, if they can win in between the hashes 
and they have a lot of QB run game. We know how hard that is to defend. It's just an added person uh, to go up against. Man, I, I, it's going to be fun. And schematically, Brian Lindgren, you go watch that SC game, guys. I think I sent you the clip. The amount of times that they've got more blockers than defenders on the edges is far too many for SC. And that speaks to the shifts and the motions and just the style in which they set up USC defensively. I mean, offensive coordinator of the week, Brian Lindgren, and it ain't even close with, with what they did last week. So I, I can't wait to see that scheme against UW and what, what they're known for on defense. As, as my high school coach, the great Fred Kobacheski would say, those, te- those tight ends run like deer. He probably actually said deers, but uh, it was still, it's still impressive how well they move. And isn't it fascinating, guys, how we're seeing it? And it's been coming, but I think, you know, Oregon State, given we're talking about them, is clearly one of the first in this conference to do this. Stanford's done it for years now. As the, the game changed to this, you know, arena football stuff and people start playing seven and eight defensive backs, what's the offensive counter? The offensive counter is we're going to go heavy and we're going to pound you again. And and that's obviously what's, I mean, that's, that's football. It's it's reaction, then counter-reaction. Yogi, you were part of it in coaching rooms, you know. So we're, I think it's going to be something we're going to see more. We're going to see more and more schools in the next couple of years going back and trying to find tight ends, and not just tight ends that split wide and catch, but tight ends that can actually block people, like Kate Otten, who I think is, is, is the outstanding example of that in our conference. A tight end, but he's an inline player. He can get in there and put his hand down and block people. Um, so that's where I think you make a great point, Yoga, about Oregon State, because that to me is where we're heading the next couple of years. Yeah, I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, we talk- sorry. Uh, Arena Football League, my address is still the same in case you want to send the check. <laughs> <laughs> I, that is a constant among anybody who's ever worked in the Arena League, I think. Everybody owes yes. a little coin. Yep. I love that. All right, before we get to two uh, two teams that I think are two games that are huge, uh, I just want to let you know a little bit about our partners over at Bet Rivers Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now is the time. They are offering a two hundred and fifty dollars match bonus for your very first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and much more reliable. And we know football season, I can't believe it, we're almost at the mid-season point. But you can still get in on the action. Go to BetRivers.com today. Download the BetRivers iOS app. Of course, you got to be 21 years or older. And if you're struggling with a gambling issue, just call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, the phrase we use is dictate terms. Oregon, Mario Cristobal, they want to dictate terms. Kayvon Thibodeau, sounds like he's going to be back at full strength. Stanford. They want to dictate terms. This is a game. This is a rivalry that goes back a decade. We've had some great games with different head coaches on Oregon sideline. But I look at the last couple of years, Stanford, Oregon, that has been a blast to watch. Michael, we just came from calling Stanford's loss to UCLA. They were not at full strength. They won't be at full strength Saturday, but they'll be much closer to it than they were in our game a few days ago. What do you think about the number three team in the country coming to the farm? I think Oregon is going to try to Stanford Stanford. And what I mean by that is they are going to do what Stanford used to do, just line it up and win the line of scrimmage and run all over you. And I think if Stanford can't stop the run, the game will be over very quickly. I was, 
I was impressed with Tanner McKee at once he got going um, and how Stanford was, you know, a little more finesse game and the tight ends. Um, so I think if Stanford can stop the run and get the offense going a little quicker uh, than they did last week, I think they've got a chance, but I, I just, I, I'm not sure they can stop the run. And I think if Oregon plays with fire that Mario Cristobal is going to have them playing with, I think, I think they're going to run the ball and I think they're going to be successful on the farm. Ted, what do you think? Yeah. You know, I, Michael hit it. I mean, obviously Stanford hasn't stopped the run yet and they know that. So I'm assuming they're going to get a heavy dose of CJ Verdell pretty early. So, all right. Can they do that? The best thing for Stanford that we, I thought we saw last Saturday was explosive offense. And we haven't seen a lot of from Stanford recently, and they had explosive offense. They have pretty good wide receivers, you know, guys that are stepping up and playing top roles for the first time. New kid Farrell that we hadn't seen before who clearly can run. And David Shaw mentioned that after the game was that that was kind of the thing, you know, they, they had a, a very poor start in the first quarter, but once they got going, they showed the ability to make plays. They're going to have to do that. I, I think to, to have a shot to pull this off. I mean, to me, Oregon comes in as a heavy favorite. And the best hope Stanford has is that two prop. Can they at least slow down the run? And two, can they can they hit for some big plays? Yeah, I, I if I'm Stanford, I want to receive the ball, and I want to open it up a little bit, and I want to challenge the back end. I'm totally with you guys in that regard. When you flip it on the other side, that's to me where it gets really interesting. If you are going to schedule two schemes back to back in this league, I would want UCLA and Oregon back to back. Because what Chip Kelly and Joe Moorhead do is similar in terms of all the movement, pre-snap, post-snap. And we saw it, obviously, front row. Tanner McKee struggled with all that movement early on in the ball game. And to your point, settled in eventually, second half, spread it out, was dealing to his wideouts. Uh, I, I just look at what, um, what this team does on offense. They will, they will challenge Stanford. They will challenge with all the movement and Joe Moorhead. I, I look forward to watching it. I think Anthony Brown has grown a ton. I think defensively, Kayvon coming off the edge is in a weird way almost better than watching Carl Jones come off the edge, right? Kayvon Thibodeau looks like a defensive end. You look at the guys that came off the edge for UCLA. I mean, these dudes were, you know, six foot, 230, different type of athletes, being able to get skinny against Miles Hinton, be able to get skinny against Walter Rouse and put some pressure on Tanner. So if, if I'm Stanford, I want to take the ball on offense, see if I can spread you, take some shots down the field. And then when you flip it, man, I can't wait to see how Stanford adjusts to Joe Moorhead because there were times where they felt like they adjusted to what Chip did. There were times where they felt like, obviously, Chip in the run game got the best of them. But that's going to be fun to watch in this ballgame with the number three team in the country. Yeah, and you, you guys know this. I mean, we've seen Stanford enough to know they're not going to let Kayvon Thibodeau. If Kayvon Thibodeau plays the full game, if he's 100%, they're not going to let him dominate. They will have their heavy packages in. They will have help, you know, chip blocks, tight ends, extra, whatever they need to do. You know, they're not going to let Kayvon Thibodeau dominate. Yeah, yeah, that's it's going to be a fun game. I mean, I wouldn't, I won't be blown away if it's tight late. And I think for Oregon, the message you look at them last week, they're up 24-7 and rolling with 10 minutes left in the second quarter. And all of a sudden we land in LA after our game, Michael, and we're like, what is going on here? You call me on my drive home and it's like, this game is tight. And and I think they've got to start to put teams away when they have that opportunity to go do it because it's too challenging in this league. Someone will get you. Uh, and then I do think they have a mulligan because they've got the best win as of now 
in the country, I think, in non-conference play. But this league's going to be two hearts. Somebody's going to get the best year. And for the Ducks, they get a bye after this, which I think is perfect timing for them to reset before they get a short week and play Cal on a Friday, then come to UCLA, and away they go with the rest of their schedule. Uh, okay, the uh, a night game. Uh, obviously, Arizona State. The Bruins playing again at night, FS1, 7.30 Pacific at the Rose Bowl. There's a lot to talk about in this game because Arizona State in spring ball, when we were there in, Michael, what was it, some point in April, we're thinking this is a CFP sleeper. And then all the off-the-field stuff happens. Then all the on-field stuff happens which with penalties over the course of the early portion of the season. Last week against Colorado, their best game, most efficient game, We've seen UCLA twice. We've seen ASU once. How do you think this shakes out? I think it might be as simple as who plays better, Jaden or DTR, because uh, mm. I think otherwise they're pretty well they're pretty well matched up. I think the other thing is that you know the undisciplined play of Arizona State has cost them a few times this year, and if they can clean that up, I think Jaden's been playing better. I think at this point all of the, all the off field stuff is probably in, in the rearview mirror a little bit, at least mentally right now. And I think both these teams are extremely fired up for this game because they know this game is a turning point in this season. And one of them is going to continue on an upward trend. And one of them is probably going to continue the other way. So I think it's a huge game. I think the quarterback that performs better is the team that will win. I love both the quarterbacks. Uh, you know, I, I don't know who's going to play better, but I think that's going to be the key. Ted, we saw DTR with quite the performance over the weekend. Yeah. What do you think he needs to do against ASU in this one? Well, I think he needs to hand the ball off. <laughs> that's yeah. what, I mean, that's come on, that's what UCLA does. They've done it three times in four games. Your phrase, they dictated the terms. They didn't dictate the terms against Fresno State. They did it right off the bat against Stanford. They came out and ran the ball as David Shaw knew they would. And as Chip Kelly wants. And so I assume, you know, UCLA's front, I mean, they're a little bit defensive front. They've had two big losses now. I mean, you know, hasn't played at all this year, another injury during the season now. So can they at least slow down Charbonnet? And I was intrigued, and I don't know what you guys read into this. I'm not sure what to read into it. That last Saturday, Charbonnet was probably, what, three quarters of the workload? I mean, he was clearly the lead back ahead of Britt Brown as opposed to what I was semi-anticipating was more of a share. I don't know if that's going to be the UCLA formula going forward, but either way, to me, that's this. If UCLA comes out and dictates, then Thompson Robinson doesn't have to win the game for him. He can pass when they want to pass, which is when DTR has been his best. Yeah, I think we're going to see top two running backs, you could argue right now in the league, at least in the South, in Rashad White and Zach Charbonnet in this game. I think both teams are going to try to run the daylights out of the ball. The thing that I would be talking about a ton, I'm not sure who's calling it, but if I was calling this one, we would be talking about how does Antonio Pierce, the DC, adjust to Chip Kelly in-game? Because Chip is a guy who's going to give you certain formations, certain motions, certain looks, certain types of action from the quarterback, certain pulls from his offensive lineman early on. And he's just going to check that away. He and Justin Fry and say, okay, you played it like this. How are you going to play it next time? I, I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Chip Kelly run similar plays multiple times in this game. 
and force Arizona State to adjust. And I can't wait to see the adjustment. Antonio Pierce, his first full year, calling defenses. I look at the Arizona State. This is not to disparage any of the OCs they went against. Southern Utah, UNLV, BYU, Colorado. Chip is probably the most skilled out of all of them, at least historically, if you wanted to look at it in game. I cannot wait to watch that. So that's storyline one for me. Um, and then storyline two is the kids coming back to L.A. And we see it all the time. You come back to L.A., Jaden's from L.A., uh, Jack Jones is from L.A., Merlin Robertson, Darian, but all the guys are from L.A., a lot, a lot of this roster. How do they handle that emotion? early on in the ballgame is it a personal foul is it chippiness that that's the stuff michael I, in pregame you know we'd be talking about it hey what's it like on the sideline midfield is there any jawing what i'd be looking for is and stunned if arizona state doesn't start with eight guys in the box and says we're not going to let you beat us with the run you're going to have like because that's what fresno state did so that's why i say i think dtr has got to do something because if he doesn't the run game isn't going to work because then just load up the box and and limit the number of plays and try to follow the Fresno State formula. So we shall here's see. Other, here's the other thing I wonder about, and it, look, it's 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 just the truth for an Arizona State. Can they play with discipline? They hit uh, uh, they hit a Colorado's guy late a couple of times in the first half. Took the flags. We've seen this before. So if Thompson Robinson, we don't know, but he, we we know he's practiced. But what is the after effect of what appeared to be a, you know, an injury at the end of the Stanford game? Are they going to test him early and hit him, even if they get a flag or two? They've done it. So I, I, I'll just be interested to see how Arizona State plays that way. Yeah, there's a lot of intrigue. I, I, I can't wait for our game, and I'm pumped that it's at 11 a.m. Pacific to fly home to watch this game. Uh, we'll be glued to every snap. All right, the final game on the Pac-12 slate. Uh, it's at 2.30 on the Pac-12 Networks after our game. Washington State and the Cal Bears. It's at Cal. Um, we talked about Cal a little bit earlier. I, I want to talk about Washington State. Uh, number one, uh, so happy to hear that uh, Brandon Gray is stable, uh, involved in a uh, gunshot wound over the weekend. So thank God that is okay. And here we are on Wednesday. I hope there's even better updates later in the week as you listen to this. When I go to the field for Washington State, I'll tell you what, fellas, when I watched the Utah game, I didn't realize it was as close. I didn't realize that Wazoo had a chance to go up 14-0 in the first quarter. I had no clue it was as close as it was. I mean, it's 17-13 with four minutes left in the game, and then Clark Phillips has the pick six to make it 24-13. Um, Washington State had every chance to win this ball game. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to watch them play. Of course, we have them the following week. But I don't think Washington State is incredibly reflective of their of their record this year. Um, obviously, we know what happened in the SC game with forty plus unanswered points. But there's moments where they look they look good, they look you know above average. So I I, I want to see what type of team shows up heading back to Northern California where Nick Rolovich is from. And so I'm looking here because that that would say I would say the same thing about Cal so far. Yeah. I'm going to give uh, Jeff Ferrado a hat tip here. So Cal has six possessions of at least 43 yards against Washington, right? They moved the ball. Chase Garber's played well. Four of those six possessions ended with either turnovers or, or a missed field goal. And that's the stuff. So if Washington State, you know, they're going to go on the road, obviously, and have to try to slow that down. Can they slow down Garber's and, 
uh, Cal's offense, yeah, you know, for the most part, has been pretty good so far. So I, I would, I would watch. At least to me, this is a game where, to me, if I'm Cal, this is my, this is the week. This is the week we have to show something. They have one win. It's against Sac State. They need to beat somebody, and we're at home against a team that's down a little bit. We need to beat them. And that, you know, I mean, I know it's easy to say, but to me, that's the way I'm looking at this game from the Cal viewpoint. Both these teams seem to parallel the narrative we've been saying about Oregon State for the last couple of years that close in it, but can't seem to get the win. And, uh, you know, the Beavers have turned that around. And hopefully one of these one of these teams is going to have to turn it around that week. And yeah, selfishly, I hope it's Washington State because I like a little bit better story going into the into Pullman. So that's a TV mind. But um, I think, uh, you know, I think. I think both these teams have some doubts and hopefully one of them can get them worked out a little bit this weekend. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And to round it out, uh, Arizona and Utah have buys. Both need them for dramatically different reasons, as, as you might imagine. Okay, before we get into the humanity moment of the week, I uh, just want to let you know about the Field of 12 Media. Hopefully you know it by now if you've been listening. If you're a new listener, we appreciate it. But it's a brand new podcast and digital media network covering college football by people that know it best. It's brought to you by Shoot Your Shot Productions. They are the folks behind the Field of 68. So what is the Field of 12? Well, it gives you insight into the game we all love by the people who have lived it in one form or another. So in the Big 12, Trevor Knight and Bryce Petty, they are going to figure out what's going on at Oklahoma offensively. Spencer Rattler got booed in their most recent game last weekend. That's interesting. Joshua Perry, Christian Hackenberg, they have the Big Ten on lockdown. Ohio State, they get a big win. It was a little early scare there. Max Starks, Clint Sterner own the SEC. Big matchup, Lane and Nick Saban. We got Ole Miss and Alabama this weekend. That'll be a fun one. We have Harry Douglas and Cody Sensenbaugh on the ACC. Pitt trending up. Clemson? And trending down, maybe. Uh, and of course, we'll be here every week to be your go-to source from the Conference of Champions. And we may have a team in the playoff this year in the Pac-12, Oregon. To me, uh, they look like the number three team in the country, not just de facto based on what other teams are doing. So check out the links below for the rest of our shows. The Field of 12, where college football happens. Michael, this is the part of the podcast where the humanity moment of the week happens. Take it away. Well, I'll just get right to it. In, in less than four years, we've lost three Pac-12 players to gun violence. Tyler Holinsky, Ty Jordan, and now Aaron Lowe. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm going to have anything to say that's going to convince anyone anything about their feelings about guns. But when I was looking up some numbers, I, did, I was stunned by this. 60% of gun deaths in the United States are suicide. And... I said to myself, what, what can I do? So, and I suggest everybody do this. I went, I went to Halinsky's Hope and I donated. And hopefully that will at least help with one aspect of this plague in our country. Um, and, you know, speaking of what can you do, which was kind of what I was going to talk about earlier and I am, I, I just, I think we covered a little bit, but it, we need to take note about what Stanford did this weekend with set the expectation. Um, it's, it's a fantastic program. If you don't know about it, I'm not going to be able to do it justice. Set the expectation.org. Basically it addresses maybe the most interesting quote I've heard in a long time that I heard on Friday from David Shaw. And this is what he said at most schools, the football team is the most hated organization on campus. 
and I'm pausing just to ponder that. And it's just, it's amazing. And it's perhaps a little bit of entitlement and perhaps, you know, there's a million, there's various reasons for that, but the football coach recognized that and said that was pretty, pretty powerful to me. So like I try to do with Alinsky's hope, the team's trying to do something about it. And they had Brenda Tracy who runs set the expectation, which is basically an attempt to stop sexual assault on campus. And the way they do it ultimately is that is everybody makes a pledge and you don't pledge the team. You're not in trouble. If you violate the pledge, the pledge is to yourself, holding yourself accountable. And I think that's the key to why this works and why this is a fantastic program that again, I'd encourage everybody to go to that website, setthexpectation.org and take a look and see how you can help. Um, and I guess I'd close with as much as, what David Shaw had to say, his quote disturbed me. The one from Tanner McKee gave me a little bit of hope. Uh, and it should be the goal for all organizations on campus. He said, we're trying to change the culture. And what I want is when people see the football team at a party or an event on campus, they say, the football team is here. This is a safe place. Amen. Amen to that. Well, Brenda has had such an impact on this conference and I think is just getting going in her fifth year of sharing her story about what she went through. And as you referenced, uh, what's gone on in this country and what's gone on in our league around gun violence is, is I don't have many words for that. Uh, I know collectively for us to the Utah family, our words are, uh, we're here for you. We love you. Uh, the passing of Aaron Lowe, tragic, so sad. And as we referenced earlier, they have a bye week to, to spend some time with one another as they grieve, unfortunately, yet again. So with that said, for Ted, for Michael, our producer, Hayden Gray, I'm Yogi Roth, this is Ted and Yogi's Pactual Adventure, where every week we try to bring you the sport, deep dive into football, and also the humanity side of the conference that we all love. Stay safe, fellas. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.